Last week, Sarah did such a good job. Can I get an amen for Sarah's message last week? Oh, my word. So good. Um, she kicked us off in this series of significant voices talking about Deborah. Um, I was, like, furiously taking notes. It was so good. Um, and we're going to be continuing on to uh, week two of that today. And genuinely... Um, I'm so excited to be talking about this because I really feel like God has a lot to say when it comes to significant voices. So that's what we're going to be looking at. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. Um, we're going to be in verses 40 to 55 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. I think we have it on the screens. Um, but we're going to be looking of, at the story in the Gospels where Jesus um, raises a dead girl to life um, and actually heals a sick woman, the woman with the issue of blood. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And I really feel like um, God has an invitation for us this morning, an invitation into boldness. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at. Hope that's okay. So Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to 55. We're going to read it together. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she'll be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. That's how I'd like to be healed. I want Jesus to hold my hand and then someone to bring me a, a meal. Um, so good. But we're going to dive into the story this morning. And I, it's, it's a really well-known story. I love this story. I've come back to it again and again in my own life. Um, and genuinely, uh, there's so much richness that we can draw from this. And there's a lot of things going on in the story. And I've heard fantastic messages preached on this um, passage because there's so much we can get out of it. There's loads of things happening from this beautiful contrast that actually J Jairus's daughter had been living for 12 years and then dies, contrasted with the woman with the issue of blood who's essentially been dying for 12 years because she's been ill and then lives. Jesus lays his hands on Jairus's daughter to heal her and the woman lays her hands on Jesus to be healed. Both are miraculously restored by the incredible power of God. So you see this incredible interplay happening. Then you also have the dynamic of the public and the private. So Jairus was a really public figure. He was a leader in the synagogue. He was well known in the community. And he asked Jesus to heal his daughter. 
But the healing, really interestingly, even though he's this really well-known leader, happens in private. It happens in the privacy of his home, just with mum and dad and the few of the disciples. As compared to the woman with the issue of blood, who actually is this marginalized person in society, she's relatively unknown, but her healing happens in this incredibly public space. So you see how God continues to give honor and dignity to maybe some of the least in the society. Then you see the desperation for God's presence and phenomenal faith, friends. So Jairus, again, a well-known leader in the synagogue, was willing to humble himself at the feet of Jesus to ask him to come and meet with his daughter for something miraculous to happen. But he was willing to put his faith in Jesus because he knew Jesus was the real deal. Same thing with the woman with the issue of blood. She says, I only, she said, I only have to touch his clothes, not even him, just if only I could touch his clothes, I know I would be healed. So she's acknowledging the power of the son of man, God clothed in flesh in Jesus. So she's acknowledging the power that um, is happening there which is just incredible. And then you see, again, another element, which is Jesus's contagious purity and holiness. So according to the Jewish law, um, in the Old Covenant, cleanliness was a really big deal. So whether um, if, if, you, if you were unclean and you touched anything or anyone that was unclean, like touched anything else, they would become unclean as well. And Jesus is so radical in this because the thought of touching uh, a dead a dead body, because essentially the girl's body was dead, or a sick woman, and not just any sick woman, but the woman with the issue of blood, quite a, a shameful something, something that she probably um, had been uh, marginalized for, that actually he's willing to say, I don't just want to bless you from afar, I'm willing to touch you, I want to come in and engage with you in your life. Um, so he, he imputes his purity and holiness onto them, rather than the other way around, rather than us being unclean. So you see this incredible, incredible interplay. So like I said, there's a lot going on in the story. There's a lot. But as I was reading the story preparing for today's message, the part that genuinely hit me square between the eyes was, it's, it's hidden in verse 47 to 48. It says, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So that's really where I want us to focus in today on the story. And I felt like Holy Spirit highlighted that part of the story to me because of the series that we're doing, Significant Voices. Friends, Jesus is so kind and honoring in the way that he makes space for other voices. He's not insecure. He's not living in any sort of poverty mentality. He's not threatened in any way by any other voices, but he's willing to make room, to make space um, for this woman's voice. And I feel like Jesus wants to remind us of the significance of our voices this morning. Um, So that's really what we're going to be jumping into. And I am amazed at this woman and the boldness that she shows and the vulnerability that she's willing to show in front of all these people, in front of a whole crowd. And her courage and her story still has power to impact us today. So that's what we're going to be diving into today, friends. Um, so to really understand actually all the elements that are happening in the story, I, was, I wanted us to sort of just break it down bit by bit and see what's happening in each moment. And I think there's so many lessons for us to be learned. So we're going to dive in. So the first thing that happens is an invitation. So the boldness of this woman, this story happening, really starts when Jesus asks the question, who touched me? It says, 
And this is, a, this is a funny question because it said the crowds were nearly crushing him. There was a lot of people there. Probably a lot of people were touching Jesus. It was a lot of people. I don't know if you've ever been in a really crowded place, like a really crowded marketplace or like a sporting event, a concert, the Trafford Center on a Saturday, like crowds, crowds, friends. So all of them were crushing in on Jesus. And even the disciples say, how can you ask who's press, who, who touched you? All of us are pressing up on you. Sorry, that sounded weird. I'm sorry. Um, I was going to try and get through it without anything, but we're there, we're there. But genuinely, can I say that actually Jesus wasn't asking the question who touched me because he was interested in some form of information. He wasn't there to try and add more info to his book, to his story. In fact, can I suggest, friends, that he was offering an invitation, an invitation to relationship in his amazing, loving way. He doesn't expose her. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't drag her in front of the crowd because Jesus already knew the answer to the question, who touched me? He knew the answer. Again, he wasn't interested in information. It was so much more about the invitation. So he's asking her, um, who's, who, who's willing to own this? And I just think it's incredible that actually he does this with such tenderness and care that is so gentle that I think is incredible. Again, he's not insecure. He's so willing to make space for her. And I think the thing is, this invitation of who touched me happens in the context of the bigger picture, right? So Jairus is rushing. Imagine if your daughter was dying. Actually, you want, you want the person who can heal them to hurry up. I don't know if you've ever tried to get someone to hurry up when they're not doing something as quickly as they should. It's really frustrating. You're trying to stay calm and you're like, okay, can you put on your shoes now? Okay, can you put on your jacket? Okay, can we go outside? But you're trying to stay calm, but inside you're freaking out. Anyone, yes, 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 thank you, thank you. All the mums, yes. Um, so genuinely, that's, what, that's where this question happens. Um, and this, this, it is an emergency. It's a serious situation. But Jesus is so willing to stop and slow down and engage this woman and give her so much dignity in the midst of actually what seems to be a real um, hurry or real something that's happening really quickly. And genuinely... Again, God's kingdom is not limited by time. God moves at his pace, which is so full of so much um, richness that actually he doesn't have to rush through anything. He doesn't have to rush. So Jesus always has time for us, even when we think he's off to more important matters. I don't know if you've ever prayed this kind of prayer where you're like, uh, Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus, sorry to disturb you. Um, I know you're, you're probably busy with other things, but uh, if, I could just, if I could just ask this one thing. Sometimes I pray prayers like that, and I'm like, what am I doing? The God of the universe, as Sam likes to say, the, the God who created the blue whale, he has more than enough time and energy and space for us. We're not inconveniencing him. So, and another thing is, the woman with the issue of blood must have heard Jairus' request. She must have heard him say, Master, can you come? My daughter is dying. Which is why she just thinks, right, I'm not going to be an inconvenience. I'm not going to get in anyone's way. If I can just get down on my hands and knees, if I can just squeeze in, if I can just grab the edge of his robe, then it'll all be fine. So she's not trying to, she doesn't interrupt him. She doesn't stop him. She's just like, oh, if I could just lay hold of this one, the son of man, the one who can deliver on his promises, I won't inconvenience him. But Jesus then continues to honor her. 
and give her dignity? And again, it's no small question why, when he asks, who touched me? Why is it such a big deal that this woman steps forward to say it was me? It was because of her unclean status. Um, in, the, in, in these days, actually someone who um, had uh, any sort of illness or was of unclean status actually had to announce that to the people who were around them. So imagine coming into a really crowded pr- place and having to say, unclean, unclean, don't touch me, unclean. That's what this woman would have had to live through. And friends, it seems like this really foreign thing, but actually who are the people today who we do that to, maybe consciously or subconsciously? Actually, people who are walking around with this label over their heads saying unclean, even if it's not verbalized or out loud. And Jesus and this woman both realize the implications of the invitation that Jesus is giving her. In her responding, she's making herself known. She's owning the fact that, Probably in her way to get to Jesus, she's probably touched some other people. But Jesus is so good. He's so good. The shawl that Jesus is wearing, the prayer shawl, the tassels of it um, it used to represent the promises of God. So actually in her laying hold of this hem of his garment, she's laying hold of a promise. But actually what she gets as, and she gets the healing. She gets this miraculous healing, but she also gets the person. Jesus isn't like, I'm just going to give you this promise, but actually you don't get any of me. That's not what happens at all. Actually, you see that she lays hold of the promise and gets even more than what she could have hoped for in in Jesus stopping and engaging her in relationship. She gets the person as well. And God gives her this incredible opportunity to step into boldness and own her story that that will bring glory to God, which I just think is incredible. And that's always Jesus' invitation to us, friends. Closer. Come closer. Look at me. Talk to me. Be with me. And Jesus is so concerned with, with us being in relationship together. And again, when Jesus asks us questions, it's not because he doesn't know the answers. He asks a lot. Do you want to be made well? What is it that you want? Again, it's not because he doesn't know, but actually he cares about having relationship with us. So he's inviting us closer, drawing us closer. And I, I definitely know that I sometimes feel afraid to actually say what I want to God. With, that question can be quite intimidating when God is asking, what is it that you want? Because you're like, whew, if I say it, then it's out there. It's out there. And then what happens if it doesn't happen? And what if I'm disappointed? Or what if God doesn't come through? It, I, I become afraid to actually verbalize what it is that I want. But Jesus demonstrates how worthy he is of being trusted. Um, I think a massive part of invitation comes with being aware of the person who's inviting you. Like Jesus is inviting her to know him as a person, that he's not going to shame her. He's not going to dishonor her. He's not going to drag her in front of the crowd. He's not going to point and call her names. He's not going to do any of those things. He's actually saying, I am worth following. I am worth coming closer to. He's so good and so worth trusting. So friends, I really need to think, I really want us to think about actually Who is the one who's inviting us to think about that, to think about how good he is? And friends, my question to all of us is this. Actually, how are we responding to the invitations of Jesus in our lives? How are we responding? An invitation requires a response. So friends, how are we responding to that? The second part of this is a transformation that happens. 
So again, Jesus, you see this again and again. He's so much more concerned with transformation, engaging in relationship, rather than just some momentary transaction. Even though the woman gets her miracle, she gets what she came for, she lays hold of the promise, she's healed immediately, Jesus is wanting to do something deeper. He's wanting to do something deeper. He's not just wanting to heal her physical body, he's wanting to heal her heart to heal her story, to redeem the things that society has actually put over her, the labels that she's put over her. And he's saying, I want to redeem those things. So the transformation is happening happening deeper. Because friends, actually, this woman, um, her getting down on her hands and knees and making her way to Jesus, um, yes, it it shows her great desperation and her great faith. But I actually don't think it's a position of boldness for her. She was quite used to being in that position. She was quite used to being on her hands and knees, used to probably being mocked, used to being lowly, used to being pushed to the extremes of society. So actually when Jesus invites her with this question, who touched me? He's asking her to step into this new level of boldness that goes so much more beyond what's just been healed in her body. He says, I have time for you. Look at me. Talk to me. Engage with me. He's inviting her into to deal with the discomfort of her becoming visible. He's inviting her to deal with those things, to own her story, and he makes space for her voice. And again, it's an invitation by God for us to be transformed by him, for him to be the one who does the transforming work in our lives. And again, he leaves space. He's not in a hurry. He's not afraid of awkward silences. He's okay to wait, and he waits. And to be honest, it doesn't say how long Jesus had to wait. But I'm, I'm, again, the God who has all the time in the world, who exists outside of time, I'm sure he was willing to wait. Because, friends, sometimes it takes time to feel bold. Sometimes you need someone to help you to take that step out there. But he was willing to wait for her, willing to leave space. And again, Jesus is communicating loud and clear that he's in the business of relationship and transformation rather than just simple transaction, even though she did get her healing. So he gives us even more than we can hope. And sort of what this looks like in our lives now, and and the question that I think it poses for me at least is, where in my life have I become really comfortable with just showing up to church or in relationship and just having a transaction as opposed to being willing to go that level deeper and actually receive some sort of transformation? Where in my life have I become comfortable in those places? Um, And a time that this happened for me is um, before I moved to Manchester, I did a year of missions. And on this year of missions, they had a training camp. And at the training camp, first day of training camp, they said, right, so we're going to be watching you guys and your uh, team uh, activations because we're, we're trying to identify like maybe some team leaders. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no, I don't want to be the team leader. No, thank you. So I was like, I'm just going to play it cool, just going to be like funny guy, like just going to hang in the back, not going to take too much initiative, none of this stuff. Because really, I was hoping to get from this missions yet really a transaction. I was like, I know God is going to do amazing things in my life. I know he's going to show me incredible things, but I was viewing it so much more transactionally. And God is saying, but Lizette, I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. Um, 
So long story short, they did end up asking me to be a team leader. Um, and I just remember them asking and being like, oh, rats, my plan didn't work. I failed. Um, and for me, that's just my example. But friends, what is the thing for you? What is the thing where actually maybe we're just showing up transactionally, but we're not willing to go that step deeper? For me, it was sort of this leadership uh, title or position. Whereas actually for you, what is that thing? Is it a book that you've been meaning to write for ages but haven't really gotten around to? Is it a position that someone has offered you that you're still not sure about? Is it a conversation that you need to have with someone in your family? I don't know what that thing is for you, friends, but that very thing that we find really difficult is the thing that God is wanting to use for our transformation. It's the thing that he's wanting to take that level deeper. Because actually, when we, when we push the responsibility off to somebody else, and this woman with the issue of blood, she could have done that. There was crowds, friends. She could have said it was Peter. I, I, th I saw it was Peter. It was John. She could have thrown it on anybody else. She could have pushed the responsibility away. Um, but friends, actually, when we do that, when we push away our responsibility, we're actually abdicating our God-given right as sons and daughters in the kingdom. Actually, we're, we're, we're taking off those crowns that God has given us to rule and reign through serving and sacrifice when we push it off on somebody else. What is the thing that God is doing in your life? What are the challenges? What are the experiences, the opportunities that actually are unique to you that you can press into so that God can do that deeper work of transformation in your life? And the point is this, that those are the things, the hard things, the things that are really scary, the things that you're like, oh, I really don't want to do this thing. Oh, my gosh. Um, those are the things that God is asking you to press into. And it's counterintuitive, friends, because at the very moment we feel like we want to give up is the moment that God's inviting us to press in a little deeper, hold on a little longer, press in a little more. Those are the places that God is inviting us into. So that's where we see sort of this incredible level of transformation. The second thing, oh, the last thing rather, is this declaration. So we see this boldness coming out of this woman's brokenness. We see how actually Jesus again sets an example of what it looks like to love people well, to really make space for their voices, to give them significance. But he gives her this incredible opportunity to be brave, like I said, to make her story known to those around her, to risk rejection, to actually risk anger from those around her who she had made unclean according to the Jewish custom. But Jesus is giving her a new dignity, a new honor, because he calls her by a new name. And that name is daughter. He gives her a new name. And just like in the story of the prodigal son, it's almost like he's putting this robe on her back and a ring on her finger and is saying, even when they didn't think you were part of the family, even when they put you on the outskirts, you've always been mine. And he's calling her by her true name. Um, so he brings her back into family again. And friends, it's costly. That's just the facts, that it's costly. Boldness, courage, owning our stories, owning our brokenness, it's costly. It costs us our time, our courage, our vulnerability to allow ourselves to be seen, to allow ourselves to become visible. It costs us. But again, I want to point us back to the one who's doing the inviting and the cost that he's willing to pay, friends. There's, there's nothing, there's no space too far that he, he's not willing to, he's not willing to um, just sit on the sidelines of our lives. He's right there, friends. He's right there inviting us day after day, moment by moment, calling us into greatness that we've always been destined for.
We've always been destined for, for it. And Jesus is inviting us into those places. And ultimately, that's the power of testimony, isn't it? That actually we get to own the places of our lives that are a bit broken, are a bit hurting, and, get, and be honest with where God is in that process and share that with those around us because it brings so much freedom to others, friends. So I really, again, God is inviting us to use those parts of our life that actually we feel like aren't any good to actually bring him the most glory. And I can't even begin to imagine the shame that the woman with the issue of blood was carrying over her life. 12 years of walking around with that. It's a lot of brokenness that she had. And Jesus is so willing to create a moment to say, that's, that's not who you are anymore. I'm calling you a new name. So to sort of bring things um, to a close, um, earlier this week I had dinner with some of my good friends, Ian and Karen McIntyre, um, and they told me about this painting, which I just thought was incredible. Um, I think we have it. It'll come up soon. It's called The Encounter, and it's by an artist called Daniel Cariolo, who, and it's, it's in a church in Magdala in Israel. And I just wanted to show you this picture because I was so struck when they told me about it. I was like, oh my word, I love that as a visual reminder for us to really bring home some of these things that we've been saying that there's this invitation, there's a transformation, and then a declaration that happens. And I think the thing that I love the most about this photo is how zoomed in it is. Those massive feet, right? Massive feet. Huge toes. Like, I, what is going on? Um, but I love it because of how close it is. Because not only was that how close the woman, woman with the issue of blood was, try, was, was, was aiming to get, actually Jesus comes close to us. Again, his invitation is come close to me. And again, when we're thinking about this invitation to boldness and where boldness really begins, it's, it begins at the feet of Jesus, friends. It begins in a place of intimacy where we know him, when we know the one who's inviting us. And it's such a beautiful picture because, yes, Jesus is king, but he's a king that none of us expected. And he's not sitting on some throne. He is sat on a throne. But he's not sitting on some throne saying, wash my feet, minions, kiss my ring, plebs. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's saying, actually, he's willing to come close to us, to wash our feet, friends, to put a robe on our back and a ring on our finger because ruling and reigning in the kingdom looks like serving and sacrifice. And Jesus models that so beautifully for us. So where are the places that in serving that God is inviting me to be bold to step out in those things? Where are the places of sacrifice that God is inviting me to be bold in those things? Um, and again, I just love the focus on the hands and feet um, that actually, again, we're part of the body, friends. Us here together, we're the body, and we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus when we step out there. And actually, we get to, we get to be people who, 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 who are outposts of the kingdom, um, that we get to declare the new rule and reign of the king where we are. Um, and it just reminds us that actually... God is consistently inviting us to encounter the fullness that he has to give us, the fullness that he has to give us. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who gives our voices significance. He's the one who gives our lives significance. Um, and there's story after story in Jesus's ministry of him releasing voices, of him making space for other voices. It happens with the woman with the issue of blood, where he's willing to wait for her to step forward and share her story. He's willing to do that. 
It happens with the Samaritan woman, again, someone who had been sort of pushed to the margins of society, that he's willing to make space for her story. And she becomes the first evangelist, telling everyone about the, the Messiah who has come. And then my, one of my favorites is Mary Magdalene, who most stunningly becomes the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus and one of the first messengers of Jesus's victory over death. So again and again and again, Jesus is making room for voices to declare his goodness. And friends, can I just say it's it's, it's all of our voices. Whether you think your voice is really quiet and small, whether you think your voice is really loud and obnoxious like mine, sorry. Um, genuinely, he can use any voice, even the quietest one, to become a megaphone to proclaim his kingdom. And it's not just about the volume of our voices. Like as if if I talk louder, the message is more anointed. It's not that, friends. Yes, sometimes God is inviting us to turn up the volume on our voices against injustice, against things that we will no longer stand for. But it's not just about volume. It's about the character of our lives and the weight that we're putting behind that to share um, God's realness, his, the reality of his kingdom, the fact that he moves, that he is powerful, that things are different when he's in the room. And even when those things feel like they're not changing, doesn't change his sovereignty and his goodness. And we can still continually be invited back into relationship, even when we're trying to discover the mystery, even when we're trying to discover the parts that don't make sense. So Jesus is inviting us um, to really release our voices. And that's the invitation of Jesus, that actually he's consistently saying, come closer, look at me, engage with me. And then that, that encounter with the living God actually changes our lives. We're transformed. And because of that, actually we can become bold even from the places of brokenness. So those are all the things that actually God is inviting us into. Isn't that a beautiful picture, friends? Um, so I'd love to make some space for us to respond. So if I could invite you all to please stand with me.